Hey, this is Jonathan with Limitless Mindset, and this is Q&A podcast number 18. We got seven questions for me to run through here. First, I want to mention just a couple of things. I gotta say, guys, I gotta say it on the top here. This is not medical advice. What you find on my website, not medical advice. I am not a doctor. I am just an experienced, quite experienced, done over a hundred smart drugs over the past seven years. I'm just an experienced, unlicensed, self-experimenter, practicing free speech in talking about my own extensive experiences and my interpretations of published science, along with the illuminating number of experiences that I've had working with coaching clients. Speaking of coaching clients, there's a lot of people out there that submit this form on my website. I've got this form on my website that takes about 15 minutes to properly fill out, and it kind of allows for people to zero in on what is their biological issue that is holding them back. A lot of times in life, we experience these glass ceilings, or we seem to kind of find ourselves in a elongated cycle of Groundhog Days, where we seem to repeat a lot of our mistakes, experience, uh, past experiences, and failures, and we have a tendency to look at all this in moralizing terms, and we see our moral failures as something more metaphysical than they really are. And the reality is that our dysfunctions in our biology are often, often, more often than not, what underlies what we perceive as our moral failures. And that's why I have this great form that kind of helps people to narrow things down. And then I offer this service. I call it the uh, skin in the game, life coaching. Maybe I'm going to change the name though. But the idea is that this is a very lean life coaching package where we get on two telephone calls. We do an initial telephone call where we speak frankly about what you're struggling with. I do my best to answer the questions about biohacking and smart drugs and even things like interpreting the genetic data that you might have gotten out of like a 23andMe personal genotyping type report. That's how we spent our first telephone call. And then we put together an action plan, a strategy for the medium term for the next 30, 60, or 90 days, and then you're accountable to me, and you're actually accountable to tracking what you're doing during that time period to address the issues that we identify. So I'd urge you, if you've tried some biohacking stuff and you've gotten a little bit of progress, you've you've made some improvements, but you, again, you're kind of feeling yourself getting pulled back in to that gravity well of your past and the cycles, the perhaps negative cycles that you've been in in the past, then fill out that form and get in touch with me. 
If I can help you, I'll let you know. If your issues are totally beyond my wheelhouse, then I'll also let you know and I'll direct you elsewhere because I can't, I can't work with everyone on this. I want to work with people that I can actually help. So let's get into the questions here. Someone commented on a video I did. This is actually a video that I'm quite proud of. And it was a video where I was talking about the red flags of bad science. And someone said, regarding the hyper postmodern paper, I wouldn't worry about it. No one worth talking to will give a shit about the postmodern nonsense. Postmodernism is a disease within the social sciences and within what used to be proper feminist theories, especially. Hear Chomsky out on it. You're not being rad by bashing these utterly nuts papers. I agree with you. A lot of the postmodernism is nonsense. There was a Stefan Molyneux debate where he was talking to some guy that was a postmodernist who was saying that it wasn't totally out of the ordinary, that somebody, a, a, a human being, might try to reproduce with a tree. So, yeah, this is new form of institutionalized, uh, bureaucratized uh, mental illness. But the problem is here is that I, I think it's something much more than a disease within the social sciences. I think that it is a cancer within the social sciences, which is metabolizing and growing voraciously through the other forms of science. And what we really need for the world to be a good place, what we really need for people to grow increasingly healthy, what we really need for this movement of biohacking to spread out into the mainstream and empower people to live better lives and empower us to have more functional societies and countries and politics is for us to have integrity within bioscience, for bioscience to stay very straight on its path of following rationally the scientific method and not getting sidetracked by these fairly absurd and shallow moralistic uh, philosophies that have got that have snuck in the back door of the social sciences and the humanities departments of the universities and that's why I am worried about I am worried about this sort of thing, and I don't make that kind of video just to kind of troll or, or uh, to, um, I don't know, to virtue signal. I make those kind of videos because if we let all those crazy people have their way, they will devour the rational fields, and we're going to be passing off to the future generations of students and passing off to all the future generations some really unhelpful knowledge about the world. Next comment is also of a philosophical nature. A guy set named Vlad, and I think he commented on my video where I was talking about human rights as, as an airplane, where I was drawing that airplane metaphor. And he said, human rights have absolutely nothing to do with freedoms either. 
In fact, your freedom is a natural right because it stems from human behavior that's essential to survivor, survival. Human rights is not a natural right, though therefore human rights is incompatible, nor does it stem from freedom. Human rights is a collective right, while natural rights is an individual right. A collective rights enslaves the individual into <clears throat> abstract ways of reality that have no basis of nature. Boy, I'm not really sure what exactly this guy is saying here. The point that I was trying to make there is that I don't think I'm a real believer in what people call natural rights. And you can go and Google this and you'll find a lot of people out there on the internet talking about natural rights. And they have this idea, and it's kind of a metaphys it's kind of a metaphysical idea. In fact, I think it, it has its origin in metaphysical tradition, which is that there are rights that human beings should have, which is like things like freedom of speech, property rights, uh, right to be secure in your health and your body, the right to be safe from violence, and that these are rights that are just natural to the intrinsic nature of the universe. And that's something that I, I disagree with. I would love for it to actually be true. It would, it would be nice if it was true, but I think that's really wishful thinking. What we see when we take a look at the universe is we see a very entropic universe. We see <clears throat> a universe of, of chaos, and especially in regards to the living world that we have here on this, on this blue dot in space, we see a uh, rule of the jungle throughout the whole natural world where the, uh, the fittest and the most adaptable and the most aggressive end up becoming the uh, predators in a given ecosystem. And if you look, if you look throughout history, history is just this this bloodbath that looks like it belongs in a Game of Thrones episodes of this will to power of this human lust for power. And in the past. In the past couple hundred years, there's been kind of a synthesis of good ideas that were coming out of the Greek and the Roman tradition and the Judeo-Christian tradition, and they've synthesized together in the past about 200 years kind of nicely into this canon of human rights that we that are mostly respected but not quite respected as much as they should be and i regard that that canon of human rights as being something that's like a airplane that it's something that enables us to go really amazing places at tremendous velocity but that it is something that is unnatural it is something that is above the entropic predatory world that is that is natural so i'm not a big believer in those in those natural rights if that's what this guy is saying here. Next question, not quite so philosophical. 
He said, review on cerebrolicin. Maybe. Injections might not be your thing, but there is another YouTuber that went over the substance. Maybe you want to acquaint it, get acquainted with it. And this is a nootropic that I actually have it, but I did my research on it because I was a bit, I was a bit pensive about injecting anything. And I did some research on it. I wrote a real thorough article that I'll direct you to. And I ultimately decided not to not to stick that particular needle in and take the ride because the 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 risk profile of it was a little bit higher and I'm not adverse to risk. I kind of like risk actually, but I like risk when there's a payoff that seems well worth it. And with a lot of these biohacks and nootropics and a lot of these technologies we look at, there's really tremendous upside to them. They do something really amazing to your cognition. And in the case of cerebrolicin, I just wasn't really seeing that. I was seeing that it seemed to have some real pronounced effects on people that were in really deleterious stages of cognitive decline. But I didn't see really good evidence that it would be hugely transformational for me as a biohacking thing, that it would be a whole lot better than uh, paracetam or adaptogens or a lot of the other nootropics that I've talked about. So I passed on it, but I hope you do check out that article. We also got a comment from someone named Smooth Steve, and he said, did you get the same effect from adrafinil as you do from modafinil? The answer to that is a big capitalized no. Adrafinil is, I think, a really mediocre smart drug. It was this crappy proto-modafinil version. It causes liver damage. I've tried it Oh, probably about two dozen times, and it does have a little bit of the same kind of effect where you are very awake and you're focused, but it's a really inconsistent effect, and it has a really steep tolerance curve, maybe even a, a worse tolerance curve than modafinil, which is actually the subject of the next question, which come from Kay Reed. And he said, what's the tolerance curve like for modafinil? I've tried adrafinil. And although it seemed beneficial at first, the effects were only noticeable the first two times that I took it. Does modafinil offer more consistent results or does it have a rapid tolerance build up as well? And I'm just going to have to advise that you try modafinil if, if you're willing to. Some people find that modafinil is really great. Some people find that modafinil has a really consistent effect. And this is part of the reason why modafinil has been so successful as a as a pharmaceutical. This is one of the reasons why modafinil is so synonymous with smart drugs and with NZT48 is it does have a great effect on your cognition, on your wakefulness for a lot of people. Although about a third of the people that that use it, they do find that the tolerance curve 
is really way too steep and they find that they can only use it like once a week or once a month and if they use it more frequently than that then the tolerance curve makes it not really worth it and then a, a little bit higher proportion of people using modafinil do experience some, uh, some sort of undesirable effect from it. That might be something like just having a lot of problems getting to sleep. It might be being overstimulated. It might be having a headache. But again, about two-thirds of the people have a really great experience with it. So I would say if you don't mind taking a little bit of a chance, take it on modafinil. And then the next question came from someone named Mark, and he has a really cool last name that I'm not even going to try to pronounce. He said, could you talk about your thoughts on fasting? It seems very beneficial for just about every health parameter, especially cognitive function. Do you fast? Yes, I do fast, Mark. Actually, I fasted today. And with fasting, there's three fasting strategies that I like to use. The first is the daily intermittent fast, which is going this, trying to go the 12 to 16 hours every day without doing any meals or any snacking whatsoever, which is, uh, it's really good to, it's really good to give that ATP process. It's really good to give your mitochondria a break from from bringing in the building blocks of energy and give them the time to do that mitochondrial thing that they do that we want them to do and produce the energy for us. And it also just saves you a nice chunk of change and it saves you some time not snacking or eating breakfast. And then the second type of fast that I do is I try to do a single 24-hour fast about once a month. And I'm thinking that I'm actually going to get to the point where I do a single 24-hour fast about once a week. More and more as I look at the evidence, it seems like doing 24 hours every seven days would probably be a, a maximally a maximally healthy habit for optimizing those benefits that you get from it, the autophagy and all that. And then the third way is that I try to do like a two or a three day fast about once a year. And when you do that two or three day fast, it goes in there and it cleans out all of your old immune system structures. It's kind of like if you can imagine every time that uh, the election cycle rolls around, the voters kind of have this fantasy that what's going to happen is they're going to vote in like new politicians, new people to run the country, and all those old people that suck, that make bad decisions, that are screwing us all over, all those old people are going to get kicked out out on the street and then we're going to have new people and they're actually going to do their job, right? And doing a three, four day, even a two day fast does just that for your immune system. And I recommend doing this actually around the holidays, doing it around the end of the year because that's the time of the year when your immune system can probably benefit from that reinvigoration of, flat, of, a, of fresh 
fresh cells in it. And then around the end of the year too, you know, you're probably eating a little bit too much. You know, you've got some holiday stuff going on, maybe doing some partying and doing a 24, doing a two, three day, four day fast can offset some of that uh, undisciplined consumption that you might be doing around that, that time of the year. So yeah, keep up the fasting. Oh, you actually did mention, especially cognitive function. I have heard this several other places, but it's still something that I'm kind of waiting to experience. I find that when I do my fasting, I find that it retards my cognitive function just just a bit, not a, not a whole lot, but I find that if I if I do the 24 hour or I find that if I'm doing like a 16 hour fast, I find that towards the end of that time, my cognitive function is just, it's not quite on point. So I try to schedule my work, schedule my to-dos so that I'm not required to do anything really demanding within, within that time period. But different people are gonna have different experiences with this. And then finally, we got a question from a Nick Dino. And he said, hi everyone, is there a better form or combination of N-acetylcysteine available anywhere? I've read that NAC has poor bioavailability. Uh, N-acetylcysteine is, is pretty good for all the things that I discussed there in that article. I think the conclusion that I reached there in that article was that the utility, the value in NIC is really in helping you to get past different forms of vice. The best, the best evidence on NAC is coming from these studies where people were uh, quitting smoking, quitting drugs, dealing with their alcoholism, those sorts of things. If you actually want to improve your glutathione, I would recommend just taking glutathione itself. You might want to check out the Bulletproof product that call it Glutathione Force, I think, because that that it's it's a little bit more expensive. You probably don't want or need to take it as regularly as you take some supplements, but if you really want to boost your glutathione, I would just take glutathione itself. And those are those are the questions that we've got from people. So as always, I'm Jonathan, and I look forward to a continued conversation with you. Legal notices. If you or someone you know developed or created a concept, piece of content, or idea shared on this show, please email us at info at limitlessmindset.com so we can mention them in the show notes or provide a backlink. We want to give credit where credit is due. As a listener to the Limitless Mindset podcast, we hope you have and practice common sense. However, since some of the content covered in this show deals with subjects of a health, legal, or business nature, this show is for entertainment purposes. If you need recommendations of doctors, nutritionists, or attorneys to consult before making decisions that may have health or legal repercussions, please email us at info at limitlessmindset.com.